Come, Come on, Freddy's Kitchen in Station Street for a coffee and something nice to eat. Yeah, the pizzas are great. In fact, all the food rates down at Freddy's. Carom Station Street. Come on, come on, come on, down to Freddy's now. Come on, come on, come on, down to Freddy's now. It's a pizza. It's a mystic pizza. I'm Ilana Rasbash, and this is Radio Architecture. Good evening from beautiful Bunurong country. We are broadcasting to you live on Radio Karam from unceded Kulin Nation land. Always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Tonight's episode, tonight's broadcast is the student special and this is really important because soon VC students all across the state and all across the country are going to be putting in their preferences for courses and future careers and what pathways they're going to follow or might not follow. And we're hoping tonight that some of the stories my guests and conversation partners are going to share might help inspire and guide your decision towards a career in architecture and creative practice and design. And so let's welcome Rebecca Andre, and who is a young designer currently undertaking her Masters of Architecture at the Melbourne School of Design at the University of Melbourne, where she has also studied a Bachelor of Design, graduating 2020. Rebecca has been working in the design industry most of her student life and is currently at Lyons as a student of architecture and is involved in advocacy through SONA as the University of Melbourne's rep for 2023. Rebecca finds joy in the iterative, collaborative and surprising messy process of design and has a deep love of hand sketching and model making. Shirin Clinic is a bachelor student of architectural design at RMIT Architecture and Urban Design. She moved from Tasmania to pursue her studies and interests in speculative architectural discourse. She works as a studio assistant for RMIT Architecture and Urban Design faculty, passionately enhancing the studio experience by helping students and staff. Shirin's enthusiasm drives her exploration into interdisciplinary aspects in architecture. This year, she is the RMIT SONA representative committed to the advancement of architecture by fostering community and culture within the student experience. Jack Larish is a student at the University of Melbourne working towards finishing his master's degree in architecture. His design work at uni has focused on negotiating contradictions, finding this process finding this process begins to reconcile the expanded field of contemporary issues we face today. Jack moved to Melbourne from Queensland seven years ago to pursue his studies and is looking forward to sharing his experience so that it may help be helpful for anyone currently considering studying architecture. Welcome to the Radio Karam studio tonight and if our listeners have any questions for you, they can send through a text to 0493 
213-831. And if you miss those numbers, just hit the contact us text button on Instagram, which is at Radio Architecture. Welcome to the program. Hello. How exciting. And it's so great to have some regular listeners with me in the studio's guests. (laughs) And I was very excited to hear that you're all uh, regular listeners of the show as well. So I guess you know often what the first question is, but tonight I might ask a different one. I was preparing for the question you normally ask. Yeah, that's that's why I'm jumping around it, Sam. That's why I was jumping around it, Jack. I'm I'm wondering why architecture. Um, I don't. It's hard for me to know for sure because I decided so early. Um, well, not decided, but there was like this ambition so early, and I remember in grade three, maybe a combination of watching Grand Designs with my parents and. The school I was going to um, was building their grade 12 building. And then we also had like this main lesson about like building things. And we made these little like house models out of little clay bricks. And at the end of that class, we were asked to um, write down what we wanted to do or sort of grow up to be. And I wrote down like in horrible spelling, like architect. I wrote some other silly things down like I was going to be an architect in Vancouver and make something like $32,000 a year. <laughs> it was all very like strange looking back at it now. But um, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure why. I guess I just, I think like I'm a very spatial person and I sort of really enjoy engaging in space and thinking about space. So it's probably where it starts from the root. And then I sort of found a way to think about that through architecture. I think that's very common. Is that something you guys can relate to? Yeah, I mean, I also went to a Steiner school like Jack and came to architecture through one of the main lessons, which is like a short condensed subject that the whole year level will do together. Um, I'd always had interest in like maths, but also art in school and never really thought where, like how I could combine them and where it could take me. And then did this main lesson and I remember... It was the Good Friday weekend and we had an assignment to build this model out of cardboard over the weekend. And I just sat the whole day on my parents' living room floor, like cutting it up, sticking bits together. Nothing was to scale and I had no plan. I was just kind of going with the flow. And at the end of it, like my hands were aching, but I hadn't felt the time of the day pass. And I just kind of, it wasn't so much a thought, more as a feeling. I felt like a calling. I was like, I'm going to be an architect. Wow. And I'll feel wrong if I don't pursue that path. Wow. That's really powerful. Um, How about you, Sharon? Mine wasn't like that. I don't know. I was also in grade three when I decided. I remember like going to class and saying, I want to be an architect and a lawyer. Um, I wanted to do both. Uh, that kind of like sprung from like seeing my house being built when I was five and being a part of the process of the architect. But also like I really cared about people and like defending people and helping them out um so just like throughout that time I was trying to figure out what I actually wanted to do and it wasn't until I was doing sociology in grade 10 that I realized urban design urban planning can change behaviors of spaces and then I looked into that and decided that I still care about the design of a building um so in grade 12 I changed all my options and my preferences uh, to architecture really last minute and it's been like that ever since I've, yeah I'm just really interested in like how design affects people I can really relate to that I, I think I also identified 
the power that architecture and um, good spatial design can have on society while still in high school. And, and that's what motivated me through. But you mentioned your family home. I wonder, is that your <laughs> earliest memory of building your place? <laughs> uh, no, I actually, my first memory was in Germany. I was born in Tassie, but I grew up there. And it was in an apartment, like all open. We, my room was like in the living room. Um, and I remember just being like enclosed in a space, but my earliest memory where I actually recognized place was in a park in the snow. And I felt connected and aware of like the feeling of place. But yeah, when I was five, I, w- I just realized that an architect is kind of like a fashion designer, but in a larger scale. <laughs> Basically the clothes of the world. <laughs> How about you, Jack? You're from Queensland. What was your earliest memory of a building or place? Yes, well, I guess I'm sort of from Queensland, but also from Canberra and also Canada. So um, I, my earliest like spatial memory is um, there was like a raspberry bush in the backyard and I, I was stung by a bee while picking raspberries and I ran down the, the footpath to, the, to, I guess, mom or dad inside to try and get a remedy for this. And then like shortly after that, maybe when I was five, we moved to Canada, which was again of like a very different spatial condition, although like plants were different there were these crazy seasons with snow and then maybe a couple years after that moving back to Australia and I I just I I guess I felt at the time coming back like I I'd formed like an attachment to the space and the environment in Canada and I found it like it took me a very long time not until at least maybe moving to Melbourne that I began to like uh, maybe step out of like this romantic idea about Canada and the trees and the forest and the snow that I kind of built up in my head and then kind of began to really appreciate like these sort of Australian bush and the kind of Australian landscape and the Australian culture a lot more when I moved down here. So there was kind of like this internal cultural cringe maybe or this uh, conflict inside of me uh, from like a kid all the way up to being like a teenager Um, and it was kind of like about like the the landscape and sort of feeling like it wasn't home for a very long time for some reason. Do you feel more connected to Australia now? Yes. Yeah, it took a long time but I, I feel very like I'm very proud of the landscape of Australia and the beauty of it and how unique it is and um, kind of all I want to do at the moment is to go like fishing and go like up, up in sort of the Victorian Alps and just go walking and just spend time out there. Um, you can is, never get away from the mountains. I know. I, yeah, I guess I'm like kind of uh, trying to tr- find my own different mountains uh, in Australia. But yes, it's very true. What about you, Rebecca? What's your earliest memory of a building or place? I was prepping for this question. <laughs> there was a tree. Uh, the house where I grew up in Johannesburg had a really big, beautiful back garden. And there was a big tree in it next to the jungle gym. And I can still, I don't know, I have no idea what this tree looks like now or if it's still there even. Um, But I remember the exact pattern of how I used to climb up this tree and how all the branches were formed and arranged together. And my sister and I played in that tree so much, like our lives, we grew up in that garden. Um, And in my head, I had different rooms associated with all the different branches of this tree. 
So I would climb up and there was like the kitchen branch and then there was the sleeping branch and I would act out these whole like plays of living my life in different rooms but it was in this tree. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I love the description so much. Did you and your sister split the, the tree up? Was there like your side of the tree and your sister's side of the tree? I think we had Little our own... <laughs> I think we had our own sleeping branches, but it was quite a shared tree. Okay. That sounds yeah. very harmonious. You're very harmonious, communal living in nature. <laughs> now, back, back when I was at RMIT, she in very few studios, although it's split into the tripolar scholarship, which we might get into a bit later, but not that many studios were interested in nature or country and it was just becoming an emerging theme. What's it like now? What, what's the range of studios on offer and what sort of topics are available? Because for me, it's, it's a past world. It's, it's pre-pandemic and that age is gone now. Yeah. Well, actually starting, I noticed that a lot of studios didn't focus on country and nature. There were a few like, key ones that would and they would consistently run and they were amazing. Um, but last semester I noticed there were more studios that focus on country, especially this semester, and I think that was with a shift in the architecture community where, like, you have to focus on that for registration, but also policies changed. Um, for our listeners, it's actually the national competency standards for architects, what we need to acquire in order to register. It's been updated to include in- Indigenous engagement and engagement with First Nations. Yeah. Which is really important um, because I think that's something that I I have some friends that are scared to do studios that touch upon those subject matters because they don't feel a connection to country um, and also feel uncomfortable making those choices because they're either not from Melbourne, Australia, um, but also from that background. So it's a really touchy subject. Um, it's certainly one we're living the question as a profession and we don't have all the answers yet. How to design with country, how to represent country, how to advocate for First Nations people. In, in, socially we understand but through architecture it's still something we're learning, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think Melbourne Uni is going through a similar process at the moment of reworking its curriculum and it's a bit controversial in the master's degree. Um, but I, I know in, in the undergrad degree, they've kind of they used to have this very structured course where you would learn like the the global history of architecture from like the beginnings up until uh, like the Middle Ages or something, and then you would move on to like the period from the Middle Ages to like just before modernism, and then you would do the bit uh, from modernism up till like the 80s postmodernism and then you would do like in the master's degree you would do like 21st century theories and I think that structure is like at the, at the undergrad school is just starting to be kind of turned on its head in a little bit in quite a good way um, and I, I like I was speaking to someone who was um, like tutoring that class and sort of one of the things they get you to do is to kind of like draw or design your or what you remember is like your first home, your family home. And you get a lot of interesting like um, cultural things that start popping up through that process. And then they kind of like start to sort of map that to like theories about architecture or try and like explain what that is. But I think if you kind of like start to like 
talk about it from your own like cultural experience and then bring that into architecture, you're going to have like a much more, um, I guess a better outcome probably, which is kind of what they're just starting to do at the moment. That really points to me uh, towards the idea of the importance of diversity in our profession. Like we want different people from different states, from different cultures, different genders to come into the profession to study because difference is good different experiences is good isn't it yeah absolutely and and the more you can bring to it and the more experience you can have and as you say that cultural memory right the better your student work will be the better your projects will be yeah it always works really well in in studio or even especially when you're writing an essay because I found that really hard coming from Queensland for whatever reason everyone in Victoria seemed to have these really great writing skills and I just, I didn't have them and I just struggled for a really long time trying to build them up. But I, I always found that the easiest way to write an essay is to like write something that you find personally interesting that that is sort of unique to you and then you'll just find it all sort of falls into place and that usually is like also true for studio or other design work or probably life in general. But um, That's interesting. Yeah. I think many have found their, their truth or the truth sells through the process of being a uni student and coming into architecture and architecture school and doing all that hard work. But that point about cultural memory, I just want to ask, Shirin, what advice do you have for a student who's becoming interested? They're in high school, they're starting to learn, maybe they've got their first architecture magazine, they've got a copy of Architecture Australia on their desk or something. What do you reckon? What would you say to them? Um... Aside from learning all the programs to make your life easier later on. Like Photoshop. Yeah. Yeah, do um, learn Photoshop while you're in high school. Yeah, it's a, and the 3D modelling softwares and rendering, it saves you so much time. Yeah, I knew none of that when I started first year. Yeah, and I felt like I. other people were yeah. already wizards at it and I had no clue. But you learn fast. You do. You yeah. learn very fast. Yeah, I wouldn't stress too much about it. Yeah. You learn very fast. You don't want to yeah. like come out of the profession and program as like a machine for those softwares it's more like once you have that aside it's really good to find yourself find what interests you and then exploring that immersing yourself um in culture like literature going to events is like the biggest thing that I could advise anyone to do in general I remember an open day I was working and giving advice to students and they asked me the same question I said a lot of them asked, how do I get in? And I said, well, it's really up to you. Like, you just have to be true to yourself and be like find your ambition and pursue it. That's my advice. That's a very fair point, very good advice. It, it's something you will do through the course as well. If you don't like film, if you don't like c- cinema, if, if you don't like the theatre, opera, ballet, books, literature, then uh, maybe Melbourne Uni or Monash might be a, a better choice in, in, and I'm interested to hear what the Melbourne Uni students in the room think on this, but RMIT was certainly very heavy on engaging with culture yeah. as, as design practice. What about you, Rebecca? Do you think that's critical for an architecture student? To have an understanding of culture. Just I an interest, a, cu- a curiosity, like an openness to that, to that sort of um, medium beyond. Yeah, I think we tend to be the kind of people who are interested in a lot of different things. Architecture is very 
interdisciplinary. Like you work with engineers, you work with landscape architects. It's a whole lot of different people all pooling their expertise together that actually makes a project come to life. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say, you know, you'll go to exhibitions, you'll read things, even if they're not directly related to architecture, you can always draw a little thread of an idea from it and tie it back. don't think you need to be too caught up in worrying about whether something is academic or whether it is architecture or isn't architecture. Like if it's interesting, bring it into your work. That's excellent advice, I think, for all creative practice, isn't it? What else would you say that an architecture student spends a lot of their time doing? Doing revisions. You've got to not be scared to go over the same idea again and again and again or to start from scratch when it might feel like it's too late. I remember, Jack, you were actually talking about that um, that thing that you, you wrote down, like you want to be an architect. I remember... Yeah. You might not recall this, but we were at a party together oh, yeah, in I undergrad, you that That's right. and you showed me that drawing, <laughs> and it was great. It was big A3 done in like block crayon, yeah, yeah. and it said, "Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it said like I want to be an architect, and I'll do drawings, and then like it, do yeah. them again and again many times, or yeah, something I like that." Something like that. I have to look at that again. You but knew that as a high school student. I was in grade three. You knew a that in grade three that you were going to be redrawing the same thing in circles. <laughs> I must have, yeah. Such wow. wisdom, such yeah. I, I don't actually Jack. remember writing any of this down. Like I don't have that memory anymore. So it's kind of it's this looking at that is just kind of like this bizarre experience. But um, I guess going back to like. Uh, creative like ideas and architecture I guess the other thing is like I think being like an architectural student like it's really weighted the curriculum towards or it feels like the curriculum is very weighted towards the design end and like some people are going to find that easier or not but some people are going to find that harder and um, I think like if you can kind of like being an actual architect or working in practice there are so many different kinds of roles that are very different to what's done in this in a design studio. Like if you had maybe just done like an ESD elective at, at uni and you did really well with that. That's environmental sustainable yeah, design so for our listeners. Environment, yeah, that's right. And you did really well at that. That might, you know, mean that you might be a, a more like a systems architect or environmental systems architect and sort of like a design architect. And I guess because like that first year of architecture school, can be so overwhelming you know there are problems in the uni about like um crits being very intimidating and like this culture of overwork and this culture of survival and i guess i would just say like just take you know first year for what it is you know just try and like float through it as much as you can like it's not gonna like it's not uh, the end of the world. It's not the end mm-hmm. of the world if you're if if it if it kind of goes pear shaped because, you know, that first year first semester can be really really tough for, for a lot of people because it's kind of like a, and depending on what school you're in in Melbourne or, in Australia it can be, very different or but yeah. It's quite a shock to the system. How are your beginnings in architecture, Shirin? Uh, like start of uni. Yeah. Uh. Well, moving was one thing, getting used to Melbourne, but also starting because I, I didn't know anyone else going to RMIT. Everyone wanted to go to Uni Melbourne Monash, and I originally wanted to go to Uni Melbourne. <laughs> um, 
And then I was really nervous about like meeting people. Um, so it was like trying to break the ice with people around me, but also it wasn't what I expected. Like the course was very conceptual and, and you could question everything and think and play. I thought it would be more structured in the sense where it's like very scientific, very like technologically prescriptive yeah has a correct answer yeah and there's it doesn't. no correct answers in architecture Mm-mm. and we're kind of faced with that like day one and ever since then i was like i love it like i can't go back i don't know how did you guys feel about it how was your beginning rebecca definitely felt thrown in the deep end a little bit like i mentioned before with learning programs like i could draw with a pencil when i started at architecture school and that was about it and I could write and spell and all of that, you know, very basic. So it was definitely a baptism by fire. But it was fun because I was so excited to be there, you know, with other people who were just as excited as I was. And I spent a lot of time making friends in that first year as well, particularly the second semester, that core group of friends really fell into place. And when that happened, it was just magic. Yeah, I'd say that architecture school in particular is is very... Because I, I moved into state and I didn't know anyone. And so I, I felt like I had to be really proactive about meeting people. And I think like being in studio three hours, three hours twice a week with the same group of people um, was really, really great at kind of building these friendships and sort of building different relationships and things that I don't think you would get necessarily in other courses because you just don't have that block of time twice a week with the same people and often you're kind of struggling together with these same things that seem to be taking so much longer than you're expecting. Um, so and at RMIT it's vertically integrated too, so you actually get to know students all the way from the first year yes, straight, yeah. straight through to the, the first semester of Masters. Yeah, which is I, I think a really great thing, which is something that's unfortunately been removed from Melbourne Uni, the Masters course just in the last semester um, for various reasons. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that vertical integration is great and something really good about RMIT for sure. I know a lot of people, they, especially because COVID, go part-time, come back after years. And that's even better because every semester you're just, like, surprised by new people, but they already have, like, a history. It's really handy, like... It's a reunion. Um, no, literally. <laughs> but the way that... Sean Goodsell's amazing building is set up is that it's like a big long room and everything's open but you sit down and you feel like you're in your own world but if you want to get up you can like walk and find someone to talk to and you can just engage with everyone because everyone's really open happy and the work that you're doing is so public in a way as well it's not maybe like another degree where you might write an essay and then slide it into the submissions box and no one needs to know what you wrote or if it was any good at all. Every week, twice a week in architectural studios, like you put your work and your drawings on the wall and you speak about it in front of the whole class. So you get a very tough skin very quickly. You learn to defend your ideas, but also you really engage yeah, with friends and other people in the class because you're all you know, looking at what each other is doing and being interested and asking questions. So it's a very collaborative learning process, which is really exciting. And you develop so many skills as well. As you mentioned, there's a lot of critiques, crits, presentations, pinups. They're, they're called a bit differently in each in each circle, depending which uni you're at. But it's it teaches you public speaking skills. If you didn't do debating in high school, it teaches you critical thinking, most importantly. You learn the world's history when you do the history subjects. 
you learn about technology, you learn about project management. You learn about the problems of the world's history as well, which is mm. a, sort of a, a good thing too. But, um, yeah, I guess it, I, uh, the other thing I thought it might be interesting to talk about is like the different cultures at the different schools. And um, I know like Melbourne Uni feels because... I, when I when I came down from Queensland, I I found RMIT like very intimidating. This application process, this uh, it's a portfolio. I didn't know what a portfolio was. The curriculum in Queensland wasn't set up to do something like this. And I would, I just felt like I didn't I didn't really understand. I couldn't even find the architecture school. I remember walking around Mel like the city. I couldn't find it anywhere. <laughs> so I was like, I'm just not, I'm just not going to engage in this. So I just went I. And Melbourne Uni had this big shiny new building and it was like this huge atrium and it felt very like approachable in a way. Um, I can't speak much for Monash, but I know that it's much smaller, which is also like a really good thing in of, it, of itself. You're sort of looking for that kind of more uh, intimate studio experience when you're not like in a lecture with like 500 other people doing the same thing. But yeah. I've had a text message come in from Mitch who asks... What does the panel wish they knew when they were starting architecture school? I'll throw it to you, Rebecca. Oh. I think it's kind of a hard one to answer because different things get kind of unveiled to you as you go along and I wouldn't want to know anything earlier necessarily because that process of discovery has been so enjoyable. Maybe I wish I was a bit more confident a bit more ready yeah, to accept that there was not a correct answer that's what I was or a true answer. Well. I, th I think mm. like, um, and it's so hard being like 18 or 17 and just like showing up to this whole new thing and, but just having like more self-assurance in yourself out, outside of this degree, because it can very quickly start to feel like your whole identity is architecture mm. and your whole identity is this degree and you're just working 24-7 on this thing but I think like it's just really healthy to have like a step back from that have like your that you're sort of more than this degree more than this this thing that you're pursuing would have been really helpful as, as, a, as a first year especially when those crits came through and they were like tough crits or things weren't going well and you know you were running to the uni to try and submit a essay that was due in five <laughs> in paper because <laughs> they still made you do that um not that long ago but yeah yeah I was just going to say that the the crits feedback on your work is not feedback on you as a person yeah, which is so hard to untangle yeah especially when you're that young but I think like that's real that's like like a key takeaway I think yeah. I think that still kind of happens like throughout the whole degree where you want architecture you're just practicing architecture and I think that's like the biggest thing I wish I knew that you don't have to spend every dying second doing architecture because like you are your own person and I totally agree with that like I feel like I've lost my sense of self because I don't I feel like I don't have any hobbies now um like yeah I think that's my biggest thing I wish I knew that you ha you can have time to explore different things and you can relish in that time and protect it yeah. <laughs> it makes you a full person and it'll help you do better work as well. Hamish from Adelaide, thank you for texting in again, Hamish. You're a regular listener of the show. 
he says, you talked about a culture of overwork at university and it has been mentioned on past episodes as a problem within the industry. How do you all keep your passion for your craft in the face of such adversity? Well, I think um, it's really hard in, in undergrad, I think, to, um, to take a step back because you're sort of everyone's kind of doing this three-year degree and you sort of just flick through it. So, um, but I found like coming into master's part-time has just been really, really good at like controlling my time at uni and my boundaries at uni and sort of, and then how that interacts with my boundaries in life and sort of the other things I want to do because it's kind of feels like you're being like gaslighted by the assignments because it's like, Although it might say on the curriculum sheet it's like 160 hours or whatever the it's supposed to encompass, it's never the case. And um, oftentimes what is rewarded at uni is like, like beautiful drawings, complicated ideas, and um, those kind of thing, things take much, much more time than is necessarily allocated to it on, on like the, the what's, it, what's it called, the handbook sheet. So I think, yeah, it just comes back to like that thing about being self-assured, being confident, saying like coming to studio and saying, yeah, I haven't gotten all the deliverables done because, you know, I've been, this has been happening in my life or I've been, I've been doing these other things and like that's okay or um, showing up and maybe presenting work that, that's unfinished and that's okay because like, like oftentimes the tutors can set things that are like insurmountable to do in the sort of time that you might have and sometimes they do that on purpose they do that on purpose and especially in in master's degrees at least at, at studios at at melbourne uni like the 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 studios that um get rewarded are the ones that are the most controlled and and are the most demanding on students and don't um take their, their time i think that's a very important point jack to add that architecture is unique because you can and should actually go part-time and work yeah. yourself for Rebecca and my colleagues at Lions that's that's how we met and you're you're doing exactly that you're gaining that experience you're working you're developing your skill and it's keeping you grounded in both directions and, mm. I, and I found when I was a master's student working full-time-ish studying part-time-ish it's all ish in architecture isn't it day and night merges sometimes mm. but you, you develop the skills that keep you grounded in each direction. Work keeps you grounded for uni and uni keeps you inspired for work. Yeah, I was going to say as soon as I started working as a student, that boundary division, not division between work and my private life, but that boundary of time went up very quickly because you got paid for seven and a half hours of work every day and you had to get things done in that time and you learned to become efficient and I think taking that same approach towards studies can be quite healthy. Yeah, I think because I'm not working in practice, but I am working. <laughs> um, there's like the trap of while you're studying, you spend a lot of time thinking and doing because you don't have that boundary that work has. And I think that's like the biggest thing is set, like telling yourself no. Um, but I think the culture's kind of shifted now with overworking a lot of the tutors, they'll seem harsh, but really you can just go to class with no work. Like 
maybe have like a sketch or an idea, but the whole point is you discuss it and you engage. Um, You've got to turn up though. Yeah. Don't run away. (laughs) You've got to turn up. It's scary. And I've had to like consult a lot of students being like, it's okay, just go to class. The worst thing that can happen is you feeling bad. And that's, that's it. Like the tutors can't do anything about you not having work. It's all about you and your personal journey. We wrestle with a lot of Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Annoying, annoying laughter. But that's sets you up for life in a really important way because there's a lot of other professions where people don't get the opportunity to learn and develop those boundaries to also work in their profession and acquire their the logbook hours towards registration while still students so that's a that's a real privilege of architecture as well what have been um some of your favorite moments yeah, we've been a bit negative, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've been negative. I think I think you've been earnest in a really important way. Yeah. Without us all poo-pooing the the profession. Yeah, I think like yeah, my favorite mm-hmm. moments. It always comes down, I think, to the the people I've met, and I think that that has a lot to do with the structure of of learning architecture. Um, like you go to parties with people uh, with your architecture friends, and you're like, oh. How come we or we, we just all know architects? Unfortunately, <laughs> other architecture students, and, and yes, like eventually other people start to come in, and it kind of dissolves a little bit. But um, yeah, I think that, like the best thing about I guess studying architecture is, is sort of the the community that that develops quite easily um, because of the structure of, of the of the degree. So mm, yeah. I would say the same. It's definitely the people that come really close to your heart through the process and yeah. through working together. I think my favourite memory is presenting my Studio C, so my first master's level studio, um, which was a group project. And contradicting to what we just talked about, about not overworking, we spent probably a week or two weeks straight on this project, like at each other's houses, eating, like almost coordinating our shower schedules. Like it got to that point. But we finished and we presented and we were both really proud of what we'd done um, and it was well received and that kind of cathartic feeling was really worthwhile. Was that the so, Studio 44, the, the image you've supplied for us? Yes, it was. So it's a stunning, stunning image where we just posted already a very small cropped bit of it. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, on on it was, Instagram, we'll, we'll get the full one up. I'm just teasing the listeners, just teasing the Instagram viewers was, with how good that drawing is. It was really huge. Was. Thank you. It covered a whole wall. Yeah, what's the Instagram handle for at Studio 44? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's so funny. All yeah, the designs, plug it. All the design studios across like Melbourne and RMIT, and I'm sure Monash do this too, they have their own Instagrams. Yeah. So any high school students that want to know, okay, well, what are these drawings everyone's talking about tonight? Get into social media, do do a little search, and you'll find design, the design studios and the kind of work students produce. And it's weird and wild and varied and very different. What about your favourite memory, Shirin? Um, I think it's when it's definitely like connecting with people and then finding like these weird connections as well. It's happened recently where like mutuals just emerge. But honestly, when you're talking to people and it feels like time's going by and you can't even feel it. Um, but when you like have those moments where something emerges out of it, 
kind of like in a design studio. It's like it's refreshing talking to people about ideas because then new things emerge and it's like always it's always different and it's very supportive as well like having those connections with people tell me about sona what is sona for the listeners uh sona is the student organized network for architecture it's kind of like the student branch of the australian institute um, which is a representative body for um, architects in australia um Sharon's part of that as well. Uh, each uni has a representative student. Um, we organise events and kind of supportive material for students. It's it's sort of aimed at targeting that, you know, those students who like uh, study and work. Um, yeah, all things you might want to know about like getting work experience while you're still studying, um, once you graduate, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's an advocacy platform. Yeah. And a networking platform. It's really, really good. I, I've met like lots of people that I'm close with through Sona. Like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's great as well because as representatives, we can like gauge how the climate is like at our uni. And then we also have meetings with the institute and the members there. So it's like a whole community. It's not just students segregated from the institute. It's students working within the institute and the general pool of architecture. And... Australia, because it's there's also an international chapter as well. Um, oh wow, I didn't know that. Neither. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell us about the international chapter. Well, basically, just members members outside of Australia. But I know Blake Hillbrand. He was a previous owner at last year, and yeah, he's like the vice. Um, this year, he is also part of the international chapter, and it's basically just like going off. To another country, engaging with the architecture there. Um, I think Kirsten Thompson was in Denmark. That's our gold medal winner, currently yeah. touring Australia. Um, yeah, it's a really good opportunity. I remember there was an architect that came to Australia. It was architects, not architecture, just speaking about the architects. It's like the TED Talks of architecture. Yeah, <laughs> definitely go check it out. Um but it was really interesting because that's, like, what the industry's about. It's about, like, people as an individual but also the actual air of the profession because it's, like, a really good resource. And I think having the sonar body is, like, a step into the bigger pool. Do students feel supported by sonar? Would you say? And, Jack, are you a sonar member? Do you, do you feel that students, sonar and the institute are supporting? I've definitely paid sonar membership fees I don't know. I don't know if I'm act like currently a Sona member, but I, I did. I think this was before COVID or when I first started my master's degree. I signed up for Sona, um, and then it kind of fell off from there. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's great to hear though that we have professional bodies that students feel connected with, and I'll give a shameless plug to Parlor as well because students mm-hmm. are welcome there and they're very much included and get opportunities and can network and connect which I think when I was a student parlor was just starting and emerging and it was a bit of the you know d- dirty word in a way it was a bit of a suggested to be a subversive group and now they're one of our peak industry bodies and I, I felt early on I felt oh no I'm you know I'm a student I can't come along to this but everyone can and I think that's one of the, as you've both been saying tonight, as you've all been saying tonight, that 
you meet a lot of people and you feel very welcome and the profession does welcome you in in those ways. It's also a really good way of engaging with the profession because before, um, like right when I started and when I moved, I knew nothing about architecture. I don't have like anyone in my family that has an architectural background. Um, so I was really hesitant, like being involved in events and like going to events and like speaking with architects. But I figured that once you attend those events, you actually learn the profession through them. Um, so I think it is a really good resource for students. I, I don't know if it's engaged as much as it was in the past with like COVID and the memberships falling, like you said, Jack, because you do have to like renew it every year. I don't know. Yeah, I guess there's a number of factors. But I actually did get my first job in the industry through Sona. There you go. I bought a random $5 ticket to an event one night and I was like, I'll just go along and see what happens. And I didn't realise that it was actually a, net, a very strong like networking with the intention of getting a job kind of event. Um, but, yeah. Was it one of the speed working events or the speed portfolio dating nights? Yeah, it was like a speed dating kind of thing. Coming you... up very soon. Check yes. out Imagine. <laughs> I, I I went to one of those. I remember that now. Actually, I went to like a speed dating portfolio night, and you were rotated around different architects from different firms, and it was quite interesting, especially for like practice, like um, interviewing for a, for an architecture job, because what what it will be is basically at least the, the couple interviews I've done is you just kind of like leaf through your portfolio, and then maybe they'll ask you some pretty, you know soft questions <laughs> like the, uh, I never felt particularly like I don't know challenged in that environment but like um and so yeah those like speed um dating um, portfolio nights were really good and so sort, of, sort of practicing those presentations skills because often like you'll make this beautiful folio in InDesign and then fi- finally print it out but not actually do like the presentation across the table which can be like a different medium than that you sort of didn't see coming, but yeah. With those networking events as well, you get, as a student, you get to meet some pretty high up people. Like you can chat with directors of massive firms um, and it's really helpful because it kind of brings them down from that God status that you've built them up to be in your mind, you know, and you can have a conversation and realise that they're just a person. That's my biggest advice to students in the profession is use your cuteness factor while you have it. (laughs) Like you're able to be gregarious and joyous and excited and bubbly and just brave and walk up to someone and introduce yourself. I mean, like you, yeah. you could still do that today, but if students have uh, an extra, an extra free reign to do that. Yeah, and don't don't be afraid of for like asking for help too. In that context, like um, that's how I got um, my job at at Lines. I it was basically in the middle of lockdown. I I wasn't getting anywhere I stopped studying because I I felt like this was like going nowhere and I just sent an email off to an old tutor basically saying like I feel stuck you know um is there anything going on and that that email I sort of probably drafted for like the whole day and it was such a big deal to sort of send it because I was so nervous but um it yeah it, it didn't come from like a place of despair but it came from like a place of like I'm kind of stuck. I sort of need help. Can you can you help me? And that's that's like okay to acknowledge. Like you don't always have to come across as like you know can do with like your big like handshake and you know 
a big grin on your face. Although that does help. (laughs) (laughs) As Dr. Brene Brown would advocate, vulnerability is a superpower. Yeah, that's that's the word I was looking for, definitely. Vulnerability. It got you your first gig. It did. Yep, that's true. I think that's another thing, like being okay with being uncomfortable and also not pushing yourself but taking a chance. There were so many times where I thought, I'm not going to go to this. I don't want to go to this. I'm, like, tired. I'm just going to go home. But I didn't, and I strayed away. And I ended up meeting, like, people that I really treasure, um, experiencing things as well, and everything kind of linking together. Um, I think that's, like, my biggest – another big advice for students. (laughs) Please engage with whatever's there, being present to everything. Um, That's something I learned through RMIT as well, like, in the balloting presentations, which is, like, choosing your studios – right before the semester starts all the tutors say be present and be like engage in the broader scheme of life it's definitely true it's it's an amazing time and the beginning does feel very hard none of us have been shy about that tonight but it is such an amazing time and to have the robust education you do get as a result of pursuing architecture architectural training regardless of which uni you pick is really amazing it's a really stunningly well-rounded and diverse education where you'll leave with skills you never even knew you could develop. Yeah, yeah. And mm. even if you start in, in an architecture degree and, and go in a different direction, that, that's great too. I have a lot of friends who I remember started, one of them has become like a civil engineer, another one's become like working for a builder. Um, so... Yeah, it's like you can sort of start an architecture degree and go a complete different direction too. That's very true, Jack. We have discussed on this program the many options and variety that architectural training education can give you. Yeah, or even like I know at Melbourne Uni there's like this three-year master's stream and there's a lot of people actually in the master's program there who did arts degrees or did completely other things and then came to it later too, which is another option as well if you're not sure. It's like... Maybe you're sort of more interested in sociology or politics or something for the time being and you really want to do that arts degree and, like, do it and then you can come back later because you can do a different undergrad and then do a Master's of Architecture. It's my perfect moment to ask Rebecca, (laughs) what was your pathway to architecture? I definitely came into uni from the back door. Um, The Steiner School that I attended, um, they had in Year 12 they had an option for students to do the normal VCE and sit the exams and whatnot. Um, or you could do a year-long what they called an independent research project. Um, and, of course, I opted to do that because at the time I didn't really know what I wanted to do after school and whatnot. Um, so I did this year-long project, which is kind of very student-driven. Um, you know, and you learn a whole lot about, like, yourself and, and all of that, and it was fantastic. But it basically meant that I finished school and I didn't have an ATAR score or any of the normal sort of certificates that you might present to, you know, the administration staff for them to admit you to the degree. Um, So, yeah, I kind of had to dig my way in. My parents were very supportive, um, which I'm extremely grateful for. And we just went to heaps of interviews and had so many emails and conversations with different academic staff and administration staff at the university and basically cut a deal where I could do the first year bachelor's subjects through what they call the community access program, which is kind of designed for professionals to do like single subjects 
just to expand their interest kind of thing. Um, and if I could do those subjects and pass with, you know, good grades, then that would prove that I kind of, you know, I knew what I was supposed to learn from school. It was proven through results that they could understand and then I could be admitted to the degree. Um, so that's what I did. Wow. Added a bit of extra time uh, to the degree, but at the end of the day, didn't really matter at all. Amazing. There are many pathways to architecture, but I've never heard of this one. So <laughs> it just goes to show that where there's a will, there's a way. And, and so many of our colleagues as well that we even know personally have had past careers, have done full double degrees and then turned around and said, no, I want to be an architect and then came into architecture with all that knowledge that has made them even more amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's never straightforward, but Shout out to Dave fun. if he ends up listening to this. He was like a rock climber slash trail builder for 10 years and then came to architecture much later in life and, yeah, was um, telling me what to do at work, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, even our guest, Andy Mero, from a few weeks ago, the conversation I had with him about alpine architecture, he studied the building design rurally and then became, prior to that actually was a builder and worked in building in project management, construction management, came into the building design course, became a registered building designer, did the Bachelor of Architecture and now runs his practice up in the high country very successfully as well. So there's many, many pathways. Yeah, I think I'd say if there's any high school students listening tonight that you know, don't freak out if you don't get your preferences perfect or you don't get that ADAS score that your heart is set on. You know, there's always a way. Life has a funny way of directing you where you're meant to be, whether you think it's the right path for you at that time or not. You'll look back and you'll see all the breadcrumbs that lead you to the right place. Yeah, there are so many pathways. I met someone um, from WA. He's a sonar, he's the sonar rep there now. Uh, practicing as a clinical psychologist. I'm not sure if he was practicing at the time, but did psychology, was set on that and then decided that they want to move on to architecture and design spaces that focus on psychology. And I think a lot of people are scared because of the timing of the course and having the need, like, push to finish it on time, um, that they won't explore avenues or feel deterred if they don't get into architecture and say, that's it. But honestly, like, don't be afraid. Like, you can start a degree when you're 50, 60. That's very true. You don't even have to do a degree. No. Those mature-age students always ask the best questions at the end of the lecture. Yeah. Because they have life experience. And they know what question to ask. Exactly. And you often don't know what you don't know. Yeah. 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 You're all sitting there wishing they're not going to ask a question so that you can all go to lunch. (laughs) And then they do... And it's just the most revealing thing ever, the answer that the lecturer might give where you think, my gosh, why didn't I think of that? I actually really need to know that information. That goes back to our first point about the more experiences you can have, the more interest and curiosity you can develop, the better an architect you'll be. Yeah, absolutely. You have to have a lot in the tank to give it. It requires a lot of yourself, I think, to be an architect. It's also so interdisciplinary that I have relied on, like, education outside of architecture like everything that I've learned from primary and high school has actually been very useful for architecture and it's kind of scary (laughs) um but that I've I remember talking to one of my close friends about architecture and how it's very tertiary and we do become really good critical thinkers but that's after like gaining all this other knowledge and working with it and tying a lot of strings and being kind of like the jack of all trades 
That's very, very true. Very, very true. And mm. I guess if there's also one piece of advice that I could give for students preparing to do the pre-selection kit for RMIT or any other selection criteria is try and develop your critical thinking skills now if you can yeah. as a as a high school student start start getting curious um sit in the front row of your english class when you're learning to analyze media if that's still on the curriculum if they haven't taken it off <laughs> um yeah ask curly questions that don't even need an answer as well i think that's like the first studio experience i've had was all these really deep questions and I'm so grateful for that, for that tutor. Um, like 18 year olds, first step into architecture and we're like bombarded with whys. Why did you do that? What does this mean? Um, which is like really important because you also use that in life in general, like outside of architecture. Like same with the selection task, I got in with a sketch. Like I didn't get in with a fancy nice render. It was like a really bad sketch right before work. And the only thing is, that's like important about the selection task is your ambition and how critical you are and what you're trying to question. Very, very good advice and very important point. They don't care if you've learnt Photoshop while in high yeah. school. They don't care what your skills are. They care if you can think and if you're curious and if you're actually passionate. Yeah. Those are the biggest hot tips, trade secrets <laughs> we've given away tonight really, <laughs> haven't we? Jack, what advice do you have for people in their last weeks and months as they prepare to submit um yeah i guess like just look forward to it as much as you can uh and um yeah fingers crossed i find like um also like there's always that option to um because what i did was i applied and then was it where you defer for a year yeah so i did that and that was super super helpful because in Queensland, at that point, you graduate when you're 17. It's so like a year earlier than everyone else. And, like, the idea of moving to Melbourne from Queensland as, like, a 17-year-old was just, like, a lot for my parents especially, but, like, I wasn't ready at that point either. So um, I just applied. I sort of I got into Melbourne Uni and I just put it in the back and then sort of um, thought I'll, I'll go down there in a year and I'll work on myself over the next year. And I, I think that... A lot of like students take gap years and that's like really great and I think especially good for architecture because we were just talking about earlier in this conversation about the sort of key thing was like being self-assured or like being confident and having like your identity outside of your outside of the degree and that might might be easier for you if you've spent a year sort of away from uh, high school away from studying and sort of done that you know quote unquote finding yourself thing. <laughs> Um, and then come to an architecture degree um, with the kind of more uh, more grounded idea of who you are and who you want to be. You can also do that later if you feel you've missed out. You can yeah. You can go on exchange. You can yeah, go on. Ex yeah. I had a productive gap year. I went on exchange for the first semester of my masters, and then I took the second half off and, and travelled, and it was the most wonderful formative year abroad. So that definitely resonates with me. That carving out that that space and developing who you are. Yeah, yeah. So, and like whether that happens at a gap year or whether that happens after bachelor's, I think like the common thing is that it all happens for everyone at once at one point and it's, and it's very important. So um, I just keep that in mind. I'm mindful of the time. 
And I quickly want to ask, what gives everyone hope? G- oh. Give me a few words. Everything. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> I think that that we're the generation coming up with the pencil in our hand, literally. You know, we really do have capacity to make the world how we want it to be. In so many ways it can be better. But that that's, that's coming into the hands of this generation. That's really exciting for me. Yeah, yeah. I know like at least in the last couple of years at uni, I feel like I've really been exposed to sort of like obviously we're all dealing with like the climate crisis and how that's going to affect our lives because we're all quite young. And I I sort of feel like um, it's been very robust at uni about sort of how to approach that. And and, and I guess that sort of gives me hope for the sort of next generation of architects who will sort of probably try to um, do as little as possible in, in, in a way because that can be like the most environmentally conscious thing you can do. That's a, all beautiful points to end on, wrap up on. I think it's very true that the, the future is in your hands and you guys are the next generation and the, the hope of all, all current generations. And I think right before we wrap up, it's also really important to reflect that we have an amazing once-in-a-generation, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to hopefully yes vote and vote for a very important referendum for First Nations recognition in our constitution. And I hope listeners, as we've been encouraging you, have been learning more about it and engaging more and we will continue discussing it on this program. So thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for joining me for another evening of Radio Architecture with Alana Rasbash. This live show was broadcast and recorded in the Radio Karim studio on Bonnarong Country. You can replay this show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and supporting Community Radio. Take care. Hi, I'm Dr. Floyd Gomes, uh, aka Atticus Health with Dr. Floyd, you might recall, and it's great to be here at Radio Karam.